Welcome to Season 2 of The Plants We Eat, a podcast from the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens that investigates the fascinating history, biology, and culture behind the plants we use for food. This is Jeff Gilman and Cindy Proctor. Together we have over 50 years of research, teaching, hands-in-the-dirt experience growing plants. And today we're going to talk about a very special plant presented to us uh, actually at a plant sale by Emmett Stewart. He came up to me and said, I love your podcast. I think he used the word love anyway, but we're just going to pretend. I love your podcast, and uh, I wish you would do pawpaw. So, Emmett, we're going to do pawpaw today. And when you said that, I was like, yes, let's do pawpaw. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I say that, I want to say it that way. But it is a really neat tree that is very underused for lots of reasons, not only because we're in urban, you know, situations, but it can be difficult to propagate. It can be difficult to propagate. Difficult um, to bear fruit for reasons you're going to get into. It's got all kinds of issues, and yet where you find it growing in the wild. Well, let's, 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 let's start there. Okay. The pawpaw is native to the eastern United States, mm-hmm. um, runs along most of the east coast, west to Mississippi, the, yeah, River, to the Mississippi more. Up to Canada. It bears a fruit, actually the largest fruit in North America. Having said it's the largest fruit in North America, well, what would you say, about half the size of a football might be an accurate... Uh, yeah, that might be yeah. accurate. And I'm excited about it because it... You know, we don't, we can't grow fruit here in the South mm-hmm. because of our heat and insect and humidity Papa loads. And pawpaw is fine. It's too bad, though, it doesn't transport well, or we would see more of it, you know, in commercial settings. But again, I'm sure we'll get into that. We'll too. get it. We'll get into that as yeah. we go along. It's, it's, um, for those of you who haven't tried it, you'll see it described as a cross between a banana and a mango. As someone who has tried it, I would say that's relatively accurate. You know, you think banana and mango, you think, oh, it's going to have this intense flavor. I've got to tell you that it really doesn't, at least the one that I had didn't have this crazy intense flavor. Some are more intensely flavored than others. But the real thing about papaya is the consistency of the fruit. It, it has a custard-like consistency. It's mushy, you know. Yeah. And But yeah. the taste for me, it kind of tastes like a pear with mm-hmm. a little bit of overripe mango texture, which I guess is the custardy sure, yeah. part of it. And sometimes you'll get a hint of citrus. To yes. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it has different flavors. It's a little bit like an apple in that, you know, when you bite into an apple, you know that it's an apple, but it can be a Granny Smith, a little mm-hmm. bit more sour, or it can be uh, delicious, which mm-hmm. is certainly on the sweet end of the spectrum. And I'm sure it has a lot to do with its ripeness than when Ab- you've picked abs- it. Absolutely. It, and that's another thing, you know, once you pick it, you have to eat it. It only lasts a couple days. Room temperature, maybe a week in the refrigerator, the flesh fruit uh, bruises easily. So that's why it's not in production much. Now, I have I've seen it on menus in some of the fine dining that we've partaked in from time to time. I've never seen it Yeah, I've seen it a couple times, and my husband wasn't willing to to order that uh, dessert with me, so I didn't try it, unfortunately. I'm I'm disappointed that you didn't try it. I know, you're right, you're right, you're right. One of those things I wish I would have done. Within the pawpaw genus within a genre. There's a, about 12 species of different plants. There's only one, the common pawpaw, which is regularly used for food. Not that the others aren't edible. They generally are, but they're just not large enough production of them to actually find them anywhere. In the gardens, and by the gardens, I mean the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens, we actually have a pawpaw patch, and that's what you call them, a pawpaw mm-hmm. patch. And for those of you who don't know the song, I have it here in front of me. I'm going to reward you by not... <laughs> singing it. Wow, I was bracing Um, myself. (laughs) But for those of you who don't know the song, it's uh, Where Aware's Sweet Little Nellie, repeated three times. Come on, boys, let's go find her. And then where is she? She is way down yonder in the pawpaw patch. And then we have the refrain, picking up pawpaws, put them in your pocket. (laughs) And 
way down yonder in the pawpaw patch. Very nice. You know the funny <laughs> thing? I actually had some guests come to the garden the other day, and I was touring around the garden, and I said, uh, over here is the pawpaw patch. And, and the woman puts her hand on my shoulder and says, what did you say? <laughs> I know. It's the pawpaw patch. You know, we have pawpaws over here. She said, Those are real. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's interesting. Pawpaw. Well, it's such an odd name. It is. It, it, I mean, you, pawpaw is grandpa, you know, it, it, <laughs> or dad to some people, not a plant. <laughs> you guys probably know, I know you're all hardcore foodies, but pawpaw is spelled P-A-W-P-A-W, and yeah, a lot of people call their grandparents pawpaw. One of the interesting things to me is that this is part of the custard apple family, the mm-hmm. larger group of plants. And probably the closest relative we have to the pawpaw out there that we regularly eat is a very, very cool food, tropical. It's from South America. It's called soursop or guanabana. Mm-hmm. And if you have not tried guanabana or soursop, I absolutely love it. You can get it as a drink and uh, you'll find it in uh, usually uh, Hispanic grocery stores, but sometimes you'll find it in the regular grocery store depending on how broadly the Hispanic section they have. And I just absolutely love uh, guanabana drinks and the fruit is, is wonderful too. So I encourage you to go out and look for guanabana. Back to pawpaw. So Cindy, you started saying that mostly we don't use, or one of the big reasons we don't use pawpaw is because it doesn't ship well, it doesn't store well, and all of those are absolutely true. But you know something, let's let's just be honest, pawpaw is, outside of growing in the wild, is just a tough tree to deal with mm-hmm. in, in a lot of practical ways. Well, you can grow the tree if you find it for sale, and they don't transplant well, so you really should find a container-grown plant, Yes, which can be tricky because mm-hmm. that's a local find. It grows okay but it doesn't fruit very easily. And so you're going to tell us more about that, right? I, I am, yeah. Okay. That, this is something that I, I spent a lot of time researching, found all kinds of conflicting articles, tried to get the best resources that I could. And I'm going to give you the best information I have, but I have to say I was not fully satisfied by everything that I found from the scientific community, particularly regarding the flowering and the pollination. Well, of, didn't they contradict plant? themselves within a paper? And that makes yes, us uneasy. I yeah. I saw one paper that contradicted itself. I saw another paper that literally gave me what I knew to be wrong information. It was weird. I, I haven't had this experience before, going through the scientific literature and finding... I, to find a little bit of contradiction actually isn't that odd. But to find this much mm-hmm. contradiction, especially between relatively current papers. Well, what do you think is going on? All right. So what I think is going on, you mean in terms of the scientists or mm-hmm. in terms of pawpaw? Pawpaw. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's another discussion. So based on what I've seen, pawpaw appears to be a plant which is trioecious. And by trioecious, I mean we find plants with three different types of sexuality. <laughs> we have plants that are males. Mm-hmm. We have plants that are females. And we have plants that are perfect flower. Which they have both. What, right. They have a single flower will be both male and female. I also saw references to plants having both male and female flowers on the same plant, but these papers did not feel as reliable to me, and I have personally not seen what I consider to be that. So I, I think that we're dealing with either we have a male plant, a female plant, or a plant that contains perfect flowers. In other words, flowers that have both male and female, kind of like most of the flowers that you're used to you know, out, out in your garden. So when the industry recommends that you plant a couple of these together, then they don't really know themselves. Like they're hedging your bet. Well, most of the ones that are recommended are going to be perfect uh, flowered. Now, so let me explain further difficulty with the pawpaw. Further difficulty with dealing with the pawpaw is pollination. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, pollination does not appear to be by bees. Pollination appears to be by flies and by beetles. And it doesn't seem to attract anything that strongly. And having stood outside and watched the pawpaw plants, I can say that I don't see any insect regularly coming to the flowers that much. They don't appear to be this incredibly strong attractor of anything. Have you smelled the flowers before? I have not spent too much time smelling the flowers. It's not a strong, Mm -mm. unpleasant odor. It must, but there's something about it that does attract certain types of flies. Yeah, well, the color, be- it has that reddish color, mm-hmm. magenta, would you call it a magenta? I say maroon. Mar- maroon is a bit, yes, mm-hmm. maroon. That maroon color that we kind of associate with dead animals. Mm-hmm. And That's so, a good point. Mm-hmm. And when you have a color like that, often you're attracting flies that <laughs> feed on dead things. Right. Again, going through the literature, what you find is people just making this huge generalization. Yeah, flies and beetles. Yeah, flies and beetles. And based on my observations, and I have not observed as carefully as the papers that I've read. I don't want to give the impression that I have, but my observations really back this up. Random flies and beetles fly by, say, oh, well, let me check that out. Oh, not very good. I'm moving on. And in doing so, they pollinate. And doing so, they pollinate. So pollination can be uneven. The flowers also, they have this weird thing. I shouldn't say weird thing. This is actually relatively common in the plant world, but we haven't spent much time talking about it. Pawpaws, generally speaking, don't pollinate themselves, and they appear not to pollinate themselves for two reasons. First of all, here's a botanical term, they're uh, protogynous or protogynous. And what do I mean by that? The female parts of the flower mature first, And then the female parts of the flower uh, stop being receptive to pollen, and then the male parts bloom. And that way, the plant can't pollinate itself. But they also appear to be fundamentally incompatible. And what I mean by fundamentally incompatible, even if you had pollen from the same plant maturing at a time that the female's receptive, it's still will not work. You know, on a side note, I have to say, botanically speaking, plants are cool when they do things like that. They do. They're just really neat. They have really weird ways to prevent themselves, you know, to to promote outcrossing. In other words, crossing with different pawpaws so we have more variety in the offspring. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so all of these things that I just mentioned make pawpaw a difficult thing to breed. You know, storage of the fruit aside, they're a difficult plant to breed. Having said that, there certainly has been some breeding going on. Kentucky is one of the places where a lot of the breeding of of pawpaw has gone on, and there are certainly some cultivars of pawpaw. Pawpaw is uh, generally reproduced by grafting your cultivar pawpaw onto a, a rootstock, and then you get that cultivar of pawpaw, which, by the way, generally have a larger, tastier fruit than you'd find of in course. the wild. Yeah, <laughs> naturally. Uh, although the storage life, I don't think, is that much better. That would be one thing to breed them for. And then you grow and prepare them and eat them. Also, I should point out that even pawpaws that produce a lot of fruit, compared to other commercial fruits, they're still not producing a lot of fruit Mm -hmm. per unit area. So they're not what we call an extremely efficient crop. To me, when I think about pawpaw, on the one hand, I see a very unique fruit, a, a flavorful fruit that could certainly be bred for some amazing flavors. I mean, even eating a wild pawpaw, you can just sense, hey, this fruit, for somebody who really wanted to breed, you could come up with something amazing. I think it's a fruit that is ripe for, excuse the pun, 
<laughs> fruits is ripe for investigation and for creating something new, but there are just a lot of difficulties in dealing with this plant. Well, I think the industry could overcome the pollination issue. I mean, think of all the things that we do to get our other crops, you know, but the, it's the transporting that they can't overcome, I'm, I'm imagining. It's because it bruises so easily and we need to have our fruit look perfect. I mean, and I like that too. You know, I like for it to look good. It, it makes me think it's fresh, you know, and good quality and I'm spending my money wisely. So I mean, the thing is with peach, I mean, and we, uh, we talked about peach, it was the Alberta peach, which enabled us to get beyond, you know, specific cultivar of peach that enabled us to get uh, beyond shipping. You're, that's a good point. And, and I wonder. And that's a pollination thing. So, yeah. okay. And All I right. wonder if more effort with pawpaw would lead to, you know, that breakthrough pawpaw, mm-hmm. that breakthrough cultivar, which would enable us to ship it more easily. There's nothing in the pawpaw out there right now that couldn't be overcome. But it's going to, but with all the things together, it's going to take a tremendous amount of effort to get beyond it. Well, yeah, pears are widely in the industry, mangoes, you yeah. know, the, the fruits that we kind of touched on that were kind of resembling pawpaw. But you know, it was George Washington's and Thomas, Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson's favorite fruit. Yep. I found that, and I didn't find that in just one source. Yeah. I found that multiple sources. You know, Lewis and Clark expedition, they were saved from starvation at the end of their expedition by eating pawpaws. There's all kinds of great stories about pawpaws saving people. It was certainly well used by by Native Americans. I was just going to say that, you know, not just for eating, but they would use the inner bark as such that they could finesse it and make ropes and nets, you know, f- to, to capture fish. And that's interesting. Like, I've never heard of a plant that we talk about anyway yeah. that can do that. So, they can do so much. Yes. And then um, it's actually used the trunks in Arkansas as split rail fences. Really? Yes. That That is neat. I had not heard that. So there are some further uses for pawpaws. They produce some very specific chemicals, which are interesting to us for a variety of reasons. First of all, let me point out that almost nothing likes to eat the pawpaw. There are insect pests, not a lot, but there are a few minor insect pests. And the reason there are so few pests is because pawpaws actually have a chemical called acetogenins. Those are uh, basically a fatty compound, which are toxic to a lot of different insects. In fact, it's been talked about uh, using these acetogens as an insecticide, and it does have possibilities as an insecticide. Kind of like we use pyrethrines, right? Pyre- yeah. yeah. So C- I wonder certainly. why. That's interesting. It- in the insect cells. Furthermore, there is only one insect that really eats the plant regularly, is able to deal with these acetogenins. It's a very cool insect. You know the zebra swallowtail? Yes. It's pretty white with yes, black very stripes. beautiful. Beautiful butterfly, and it's really cool that that butterfly, the caterpillar, feeds on the plant. It's really the only thing to feed on the plant a whole lot. Japanese beetles will touch it. Deer, by the way, do not like it. I mean, will they take a bite? Yes, they will take a bite. But the first bite is usually the last. <laughs> um, they don't care for it. Of course, having said that, you know deer. And if you don't know deer, pretty much they eat anything. And if they get hungry, they really eat. Now, do you think the flowers are very showy? The flowers I do not consider, consider okay. very showy. I don't but either. I yeah. do consider them quite pretty. I think so too. I love the color and I love the shape of the flower. So I invite our listeners to Google it because it's a beautiful flower. It really is. You know, it's unique. You yeah. know those flowers? I don't know if, if our listeners have had this experience. This is an experience I've had. And somebody says, oh, we need to look at the flowers over here. And you look over there and you're like, I don't see anything. And then you're on top of the flower and you look at it and you're like, I couldn't see it from 10 feet away, but I'm right on top of it. This is a truly amazingly shaped flower with those three petals, three sepals, just arranged in a really Mm -hmm. weird shape. 
not every plant has to be seen from across the street, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes you have to get up on top of it. And this is a really pretty flower when you're, and, when you're up on top of it. And the fruit, when they're showing on the plant, it's very Dr. Seuss-ish. Yes, I was thinking of how to describe it. And I think Dr. Seuss is a great way to put it. Now, with some of the cultivars, they are a little bit more oblong, but with some, they're very weirdly and, shaped. And it's turn- and when you see the changing of the color of the mm-hmm. foliage, because you are going to pick the fruit around in the fall mm-hmm. as the foliage changes. Yeah, but September too, even October, you want to wait. Right when the leaves starting to turn color, you want to pick that fruit. And uh, it's very weird looking. (laughs) I don't know. The plant looks very strange. You have to wait till it's, I guess, just slightly yellow and then, Mm -hmm. yeah. Extract from pawpaws can actually help the ability of certain cancer cells to reject chemotherapy. Mm. So kind of say, oh, cancer cells, you're rejecting this toxin? Well, here. (laughs) Let me help Spoon, you. <laughs> let me help you. Spoonful of sugar. There's your medicine. Now you're dead. Now you're dead. <laughs> right. There's a lot they could go with that, right? right exactly. Researchers could work with that. So it's not being used in that way right now, but it's showing some real promise. Um, Papa has some unique compounds in it, again, which are very neat. By the way, there are some synonyms to Papa that I think are worth pointing out. The poor man's banana, wild banana, prairie banana. <laughs> I, I liked all those names. Right. I thought they were worth Pointing out, and it was designated the Ohio State Native Fruit in 2009. Because hey, he doesn't want to know that. In the garden, have you ever smelled its leaves? They're supposed to smell awful. They, so, have so you? when you smell leaves of any plant, you need to crush it. You can't yes, just put you your just, nose up yeah. to it. And when you crush it, it has like a bell pepper smell to bell it. That's, but it's Weird. not. But it's unusual. Like when you smell a bell pepper, you're supposed to smell a bell pepper. But when right. you crush a leaf and smell bell pepper, ugh, it's weird. It's very strange. I'm going to have to try this out. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go to the pawpaw patch. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, so we're talking about different possible topics for next week. And, um, have you picked one? I did. And it comes from, I have to be honest, it comes from a beer I was drinking. I can't remember the beer, but I was drinking the beer. Spike Nard. Spike Nard? Yeah. You ever heard of Spike Nard? So I, I think I'm going to be a listener on this one. Yeah, I, I had never heard of Spike Nard before, but I saw it as like, we've got to do Spike Nard. Okay. I have to be honest, there are a few listeners who have submitted uh, other wonderful ideas, but guys, I've got to do Spike Nard. So, so next week's for me. Okay. Spike we'll Nard. do this for you. All right. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Hey, if you'd like to reach us and either tell us what we did wrong or give us some more information, we always love that. Or did right. Or did right. <laughs> or if you'd just like to suggest another plant for us to take a look at, please email us at jgilman at uncc.edu. That's J-G-I-L-L-M-A-N at uncc.edu. This has been the Plants We Eat production of UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens, along with the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Isle Group. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to talking with you next week.